All right, we're going to be in the book of Ezra, chapter 7. Ezra, chapter 7. This is a part two, so if you weren't here last week, I kind of um, um, introduced this and got into the first point. Um, And basically what you're going to see in this is that God has a purpose for His creation. He has a purpose for His redemption of man. He has a purpose for bringing you together into the body of Christ. And one of the things that you will learn whenever you read the Bible, especially if you... I like to tell people to zoom out. Now what I mean by that is sometimes we can zoom too far in on a particular verse or a word even. And sometimes we can get too close so that we can't see the big picture. And one of the things that you'll see if you zoom out far enough to look at the Bible at its whole is that... God has always planned to have a kingdom where He rules as king, but mankind rules with Him, and they dwell with Him, and they enjoy all of His goodness as they bring Him glory in the way that they live, in the way they enjoy Him forever and ever. And so we see that beginning in the book of Genesis, as I told you last week. You go back to Genesis and you look. When He created everything and then He created man, what did He tell man to do? What was His command to him? Go and have dominion. Have dominion over. In other words, rule. You are going to rule this with me. You are going to be the physical reflection of the invisible God here on this creation and this kingdom that God has built. And as you all know, we fell short of that, right? We sinned and we decided, God, we can rule this thing without you. And that's still the problem with the world today. The problem with the world today is that people like you and me, we look at God and say, God, we don't need your ways, we don't need your guidance, we don't need and we don't want you. We can do this on our own. And let me ask you a question. When you look around the world today, what does a world like that look like? It is a cursed, messed up world full of sickness, darkness, and death. And hopefully in the process of this, you and I are having our eyes opened up to see that God, we need You. We need You to rule. We need You to reign over all things. And so ultimately every story in the Old Testament that you see is God telling a story of how He is going to redeem a group of people from bondage of sin and slavery and how He is going to bring them into His kingdom. And it's going to be a a, a tough journey on the way there. It's going to be a difficult path getting there and along the way we're going to learn the, the rules of God and we're going to learn God's ways and we're going to learn to walk with Him and follow Him until finally He brings us into the place that we are able to dwell with Him. And you see that picture. Go back to Exodus. Come out of slavery of Egypt, right? You're going through the journey of the wilderness and they're given the law and they're learning how to walk with God and be pleasing to God. And then there is a tabernacle that God tells them to build. Why? Because God plans to dwell with them, to tabernacle among them. And then when they get into the promised land even, there's a temple that is built because God plans to dwell with them. But they're not in the place where God will dwell with them forever in perfection yet. So He has to establish a sacrificial system that just continuously points to what God is going to do. It is the already but not yet. Does that make sense? 
We, yes, already dwell with God in Christ Jesus. Yes, in some ways we already rule with God. We are already there, but not yet. We are not in the fulfillment yet. And so what we see whenever we get to Ezra is just another story, another repeat of where God shows you, I'm going to deliver a a remnant of, of my people out of slavery, out of bondage. I am going to take them to a journey back to the promised land to where I can dwell with them. And on the way, we're going to have teachers and we're going to learn how to walk with God and how to follow His ways. And this is a very difficult journey. And when we go back and we look at all these stories, when you zoom out far enough, that's the point, is God is telling you over and over again, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what we're looking forward to. And this is the journey that it takes to get there. And this is the sacrifice that I'm going to provide to redeem you. And this is the way that it is going to take place. And so when we go back to this story in Ezra, we see another picture of all that God is going to do to redeem a group of people, to dwell with them and bring them into His kingdom to where they rule with Him. And it's pointing toward the fulfillment of it, but it's not there yet. And so one of the things I want to remind you is that Zerubbabel is the first king of David, if you will, that leads a group of people out of Babylonian captivity He leads them out of that and he brings this group back to the promised land. And when they get back to the promised land, the first thing they have to do is build an altar because a sacrifice has to be made, correct? That's the very first thing that has to happen. The next thing that he does is they lay the foundation of the temple. They're in the the building process of how we're going to dwell with God. And then when they lay the foundation of the temple, Satan comes in and he tries to stop the work. And he accomplishes it for probably, I think it's 17 or 18 years if I remember right. And so the foundation is the only thing that's laid. And then he brings in the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. And they encourage the people and they preach to the people. And God exhorts the people to get back to the work. And how many of you know that's the same story of our lives too, right? God calls us out of slavery of sin and and we get in here and we make the sacrifice by trusting in Jesus Christ and then we're, we're beginning to build the temple, the body of Jesus Christ to where we dwell with God. But then somewhere along the way, has Satan ever stopped the work of God in your life? He's been doing it for a lot of years and he's pretty good at it. And so ultimately God uses the Word and preachers of the Word to come and stir you back up to get back into the work And then you get back into the work and you build and then finally the temple is completed. And so now we get to the point of Ezra chapter 7 or chapter, yeah, chapter 7. And this is where Ezra comes on the scene. Now Ezra, some 50-something years has passed by. And just so you get an understanding of a biblical timeline here, we actually can put the book of Esther and what happened in Esther, Esther, in between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7. And so if you want to see another way the devil tried to stop the work of God, go back and read the book of Esther. And look, when the devil tried everything he had, the last thing he could do was try to destroy the Jewish people as a whole and annihilate them. And then he almost did it. 
But God by His grace saved His people. And so now here we are back in Ezra chapter 7. And now Ezra is going to lead another remnant, another group of people back to the promised land. And when he gets there, what he's going to find out is that the people have been in Babylon so long that they don't even know the law of God. They don't know the ways of God. And how many of you of you remember maybe whenever you first got saved or some of you tonight, you were in the world for so long that whenever you got saved, you didn't know the ways of God. You know, I try to remind our church that so many times a day. We expect people to come in and get saved and just be perfect from there on out. And can I tell you that's not the way it works? Can I tell you that there's so much of Babylon that's still trapped up here that the Bible tells us we have to renew our minds daily? That we have to die daily to the things of the world? We have to put off the things of the flesh and put on... This is why I always tell you you have to be in the fight with your sin. Because you have so many ways of the world that are in you and those are natural to you. And so now Ezra has to step up and his job is to lead a group of people back to the promised land and he is a scribe, he is a teacher, he is a, uh, a priest from the line of Aaron and his job is to take this group of people to go back and to teach them the ways of God. Because listen, if God is going to fulfill His purpose for you to be a people that dwells with Him, you're going to have to learn His ways. And one of the ways God fulfills that purpose is He raises up teachers and preachers and people who, as I told you last week, are setting their heart to study so that they know the ways of God and the laws of God and they can teach others how to follow and walk with God. And now, this week, we get to be able to see that God's good hand, because remember I told you last week that that's the theme of Ezra 7 and 8. When you go down through there, you see it over and over again, that as God is fulfilling His purpose through people like Ezra and Zerubbabel and other leaders, as God is fulfilling His purpose, they always give credit to the fact that it was only the hand of God that was on them that accomplished His purpose in their lives. Ezra took no credit for who he was. He didn't sit down and say, I studied with all my heart. No, Ezra said it was the good hand of God that was on me that led me to do the things that I did. I studied because His hand was on me. I taught because His hand was on me. I am who I am because His hand was on me and He made me who I am today. And this is true for every person that God raises up to lead you in the ways of God. So today we get to the next point in it, and this is where I stopped at last week. Point two on your outline, I want to point out to you that the Lord even provided by His good hand, remember that's the theme, the Lord even provided by His good hand the government that was needed to fulfill this purpose. Now I want to tell you something this morning. This government is not a godly government. This is a government that worships many gods. This God is just one of many gods that they serve. And so when this king does this, it is only because of the good hand of God that was on him. Look at um, Ezra chapter 7 verse 6 for a minute. Ezra chapter 7 verse 6. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. 
He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord the God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all that he asked for. Why? What's that last part say? Because the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And so one of the things that we see in this is that God even put in the heart of this king, his hand was on Ezra, so that whenever Ezra went before this king, God turned this king's heart so that it fulfilled everything that Ezra needed to fulfill the purpose of God. Look at verse 13 of Ezra chapter 7. And we'll go down through um, uh, just a few of them. Let's see how far we get. So this is the king making a decree. I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem, that's going to be important for the next point, that they may go with you. So the king grants permission for the slaves to be set free, to go back to serve their God. Look at verse 14. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and the gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. Who offered this gold? The king did. Do you see this repeating story? When you go back to Exodus and you see that God delivered the people out of Pharaoh. Now Pharaoh hardened his heart and he wouldn't do anything. However, when you go back and you, you read, you're going to learn that God turned the heart of the Egyptians so that they gave all the silver and the gold and the animals. And the Bible says that the children of Israel actually plundered the Egyptians because God turned their heart toward them. Same thing happens here. Remember in chapter 1 of Zerubbabel when they're building the temple. What happened there? God turned that king's heart to do the same thing. He provided all the silver, all the gold. Here goes the same story again. God is always going to use the plunder of the enemy to accomplish His purpose. And you see the same repeating theme right here. Keep going with me in verse 16. With all the silver and the gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the free will offerings of the people and the priests, and the free will offerings of the people and the priests vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money then you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. Do you see what God is doing with this government right here? Alright, now skip down with me to verse uh, 25. I'll sum this up. And you, Ezra, this is still the king talking, According to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them, you shall teach them. 
Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord. This is Ezra talking now. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king. Why was this government this way? God put it in His heart, right? What am I trying to get across here? God teaches us from His Word that He always puts the people in power that are in power, whether they are godly or not. And He always uses them for either the discipline of His people or for the good and the blessing of His people. And most of the time, a balance of both in some way. Let me show you some scriptures to prove that. Look with me at um, uh, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5 through 7. Woe to Assyria. Now this is who he's talking to whenever he's talking, whenever we're talking about where Ezra is at right now. The Assyrians have been taken over by the Persians, but we're talking about this kingdom. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. The rod of my anger is what God said. The staff in their hands is my fury. Against a godless nation, I send him. Israel had become a godless nation. How is God going to judge them and discipline them? He's going to raise up another nation and another government that's going to come in and is actually going to judge them and discipline them and carry the remnant off into captivity to be disciplined. He says, and against the people of my wrath, I command him to take spoil, to seize plunder, to tread them down like the mire in the streets. Now, look at this verse. But he does not so intend, talking about the king of Assyria here, and his heart does not so think. In other words, the king and this government does not know and they don't understand that God is using them. But God's using them. And then it says here, But it is in his heart to destroy. And who put it in his heart to destroy? God did. And to cut off nations, not a few. This is in his heart. Now go with me to Isaiah chapter 45, verse 1 through 4. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Again, this is the king of Assyria. Whose right hand I have grasped. So God grasps Cyrus's right hand to subdue nations before him, to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that the gates may not be closed. I will go before you, I will level the exalted places, I will break into pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes of secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who called you by your name. For the sake of of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. Again, what am I trying to get across here? God teaches us that even when ungodly leaders are in place, I'm talking about tyrants, even ungodly leaders, God raises them up for some purpose that we may not understand. You know, it was interesting to me that when Saddam Hussein was trying to rebuild Babylon, and go back and do your research because that's exactly what his dream was. He saw himself as a reincarnated Nebuchadnezzar, basically. 
and it was his dream to rebuild the kingdom of Babylon. It's interesting to me that before he could ever inhabit it, that even though he built some very nice buildings on this place, before he could ever inhabit it, because God had promised in the Bible that it would never be inhabited again. It's interesting to me that before that could ever happen, all of a sudden here comes the United States charging in and they destroy him. And they destroy his kingdom. That's just interesting to me. Is it interesting to you? It's interesting to me that God uses nations. And it's interesting to me that when you read the Bible that many times God raises up leaders in their own kingdoms that judges the people and disciplines the people. And a lot of times they're not godly in any way. And then it's amazing a lot of times that God raises up leaders like this king that we're reading about in Ezra, that God turns their hearts to be able to bless the nation. Let me show you some more scriptures that you may find interesting. Look at Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 12. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. Now verse 11, and I didn't go here, but verse 11 before this had actually just told us that God raised up Babylon. Alright? So God raised him up. But then he says, after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. There again, Saddam Hussein wanted to bring it back. It didn't happen. Because God has already determined that it's going to be an everlasting waste. And now let me show you a few other scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. Look at what this says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as the supreme human institution at that time, or in our case, the president. Listen closely, guys, because I'm trying to teach you a Christian value today. I'm not telling you you have to agree with everything your president does because you don't. I'm not telling you that you have to stand for everything your president stands for because you don't. We serve God as our king. But make no mistake about it. As Christians, we are still called to understand that God has raised this king up. That his heart is in God's hand. And if God wants to turn him to follow him, he will. And if God wants to use him for some other purpose that is not following him, he will. Our responsibility is to honor the authority that God has put in place. This is the reason why, and listen, I'm going to get on some of you this morning. All right? So don't be mad at me. Just learn. All right? Just learn. I hate the phrase, let's go Brandon. I hate it. Do you know why I hate it? Because in some degree, if I'm understanding the Bible the way I'm understanding it, what you're actually saying is that to what God is doing. Now think about that for just a minute. We are called as Christians to honor All human institution because God put it in place. 
whether it's to the emperor as supreme. And let me tell you something. Do you know the emperor in this day and time when this was written, do you know that he killed people if they did not bow the knee before him and confess him as Lord? And yet the Bible would still command us, honor the, honor the, the authority that God has put in place, even when it's not godly. And this is the example that we see in the Old Testament. Whenever we read the books of Daniel, which also took place during this captivity right before they're coming back in Ezra right here. When you look at Daniel, even when the, the king would lift up a command that was ungodly, did Daniel follow it? No, he followed the Lord. But he did not dishonor the king. When the king came to check on Daniel, you know what Daniel's reply was? O king, live forever! You know why Daniel said that? Because that was an a, a introduction or a, uh, a way to address the king with honor. And they honored the king, even though they did not go along with what God was trying to put into place. And so the Bible teaches us this morning that we are to honor God's authority that He puts in place, whether it's the emperor supreme or whether it's the governors. In other words, we take a step down of authority, or whether it's governors that are sent by him, by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So there we see a reason behind government right there. God puts government in place because if it does what it's supposed to do, and let me tell you again, does government always do what it's supposed to do? No, but God puts it in place to be able to to praise the good that is done and to help restrain the evil. Because let me tell you something. If there is no law and there is no one to keep the law, what does evil do? It runs rampant. And so we need law. We need government. We need things in place to restrain evil in this world until the day that Christ comes back to destroy it. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free. So that's what I want you to understand. You don't subject yourselves to their authority because they truly are your authority. God is your authority. But God has put them in authority, and because God is your authority, you submit to their authority. Only rejecting that authority when it is contrary to the authority of God. And this is what we see in a Christian life. Let me show you some other scriptures here. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and what's that next word? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Now, let's stop there for just a minute. I'm urging that supplications, which would be request unto God, Prayers, talking to God on behalf of others, intercessions, same thing, and thanksgivings be made for who? All people. Why? Or who? For kings and all who are in high positions, we give thanksgivings for them. Now again, I don't thank God for, for President Biden's ways. I do not. But I do thank God that he has at least still got an authority in our United States of America that can at least restrain the evil. 
I do thank God that He has put him in place because I don't know what it is, but God has some kind of purpose. God is doing something. Again, I don't agree with Him. I think He's a very ungodly ruler. I think He's a mockery of the Christian faith. But at the end of the day, my Bible teaches me that God put this government into place to be able to accomplish His purpose. And I trust God. Do you trust God? Then this is where we come back and we pray for Him. We give thanksgiving for whatever God is doing there. And He says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. That ought to be our prayer. Our prayer ought to be that God, if it is Your will, we pray that no matter what Biden does with this country, that it would allow us to continue to be able to live as Christians peacefully and quietly, godly and dignified in every way. This is our prayer for our nation's leaders. And God, we trust that you are doing something here. Because again, let me show you another scripture. Look with me at um, Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 4. I don't even know if I gave you that one. There it is though. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except where? From God. From God. This is important that we understand this. And those that exist have been instituted or ordained or put in place by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. So again, I'm not saying, you know, I sit back here and I, I wouldn't want someone like a nail for one second to think that I'm telling her, don't keep standing against abortion. Don't keep, don't stay, because for whatever reason, God has called people like her to stand and to be leaders in our community so that she can stand for the ways of God. I'm, I believe that that is a very godly and a very noble thing, and I believe she could, should continue to do that. But I'm also telling people like Anel and people like you to make sure in the process of it that you don't dishonor what God is doing. That you trust God in the process of it and that your response is not to curse Joe Biden. That's not your response. What is the biblical response for a president like Joe Biden? We pray for him. We give thanks for him. We recognize that even though I can't see the big picture of what God is doing, I can look back at my Bible and I can see over and over again that God always raised up these rulers and every time He did it, He did it for the good of His people even when it was an ungodly ruler and He was using them against Him. Even when it led to their persecution, God always did it for their good. And then I can also see that there were times that God allowed them to have times of blessing. I'm thankful that when I look back at the early U.S. history and I look back at the way this nation first started, I can look back and I can see that God blessed us with godly leaders that wanted to lead this nation to be one nation under God. I'm ashamed to say that we are so far away from that today that I don't know if God will ever grant us repentance to be able to turn around and go back. I don't know. My prayer is that He will. That's my prayer. But the truth of the matter is, no matter what God does, 
I know that my responsibility is to honor what God has put in place to stand for God without dishonoring what God is doing. And again, go back and read the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and look at the way they did that. You can stand for God and you can stand your ground to do the things of God and to reject evil without dishonoring the king. Go back and and, and look at any of the Old Testament stories and this is what you're going to see. When you go back and you look at Ezra and here in the near future, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. One of his most trusted people. And yet, Nehemiah did not worship the same way that king worshipped. But yet, that lets you know the kind of relationship they were still able to have because he honored the authority that God had put in place. Are y'all picking any of this up this morning? I expect some of y'all may not come back after this. (laughs) But, can you at least see that whether you like it or not, that what I'm telling you is biblical? And do you, have you been a Christian long enough to know that your ways are not God's ways? And our responsibility is to come and learn God's ways and trust that in God's purpose, even though as Christians we don't understand how God is doing, how He's fulfilling His purpose in us with the leaders that He has in place right now, because to us it feels like we're going the opposite direction. And in a way the nation is. But it's important that you understand, somehow or another, God is using people like our democratic government. Should I have said that? God is using people like that, somehow or another, for the good of His people and for His glory and for doing evil to those that do evil, doing good to those that do good, God is using them. And somehow or another, whether you want to believe it or not, God actually has Joe Biden by the hand. Let me show you another thing. Look at Proverbs. I think it's chapter 21. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And what does he do with it? Whichever way he wants it to go. You know, you do understand that yes, Pharaoh hardened his heart against God, but when you go back and you read it, you want to know what actually happened too? God hardened his heart. God raised Pharaoh up according to Paul in the New Testament for the purpose of showing his power great over him. What we see is that every ruler that God has ever raised, He uses for His purpose. We're going to turn this thing into about a four-week series trying to get through this right here. But I'm going to close with this right here. As I told you before, there is no authority except what God has put in place. I would ask you this morning... If you're one of those people that's got caught up in the whole let's go Brandon thing and you've got any way of of, um, dishonoring, I pray that you would repent of it this morning and ask God to forgive you for not recognizing that even though you can disagree with all of His policies for, for the most part, 
you can at least be somebody that recognizes that God is using him and that God has put him in place and that God is going to accomplish His purpose through Him one way or the other. And then I pray that you would change your attitude toward our government to say, God, I'm going to start praying for whatever it is that you're doing in this. And God, I'm praying that in the process of it, that as Christians we can live quiet and peaceful lives, godly and dignified in every way. And God, I'm praying that we can honor You by honoring the authority that you've put in place. And I pray that you don't leave here mad at me this morning. But if you do, can I tell you, I love you. And can I tell you that my job is not to make you happy. My job is to tell you the truth. And I pray you'll hear the Word of God, and I pray that you'll put it into practice. You know, this is the reason why the Apostle Paul, one of the reasons why he could say in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, For we know that God works what? All things together. Whether you're talking about raising up teachers, whether you're talking about the government, whether you're talking about giving you a mind and a heart to understand His law, whether you're talking about Him leading you to a specific church or whatever the case may be. The Apostle Paul could look back at the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul didn't just write the New Testament and go, I just think this is a good thing to write. No, he went back and he knew the Old Testament and he looked back and he saw God used this, God used this, God worked this together for good, God used Pharaoh, God used Cyrus, God used Ezra, God used Nehemiah, God, God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to what? His purpose. And so it is my prayer this morning that you would keep your focus on the sovereignty of God, that God is the true King of all kings, but He does institute and He does ordain leaders, kings, emperors, presidents, governors, mayors. He puts them in place, and it is always for the good of those who love Him and are called and according to His purpose. And even when we can't look at it and we can't see it, our job is to trust Him. And our job is to pray for those that He's put in place. That hopefully, my prayer for Joe Biden is that God would take that heart and God would turn that thing around so significantly that the whole world could see. This is what God can do to somebody that was like Him. But now look how God has changed Him. And that's my prayer. And I pray it's yours too. Y'all stand this morning for however this invitation needs to go.